my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. For the second time now, I'm linking up with Andy Griffith. The last time we talked with a voice recorder running was four years ago in 2013. You just caught your now famous Mako shark, the first one in fact from UK waters for nearly 40 years and the first ever in Wales. You also had blues and poor beagles that day too, giving you a shark fishing grand slam of three UK species on the same trip, all over £100. Yes, Phil. Um, back in 2013, we obviously spoke. Subsequent to that, the um, the IGFA have now formally recognised not only that it's an IGFA shark grand slam, but the first one registered worldwide. So extremely proud of that how it came about was in actual fact when the 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 grand slam was was caught andrew said to be in touch with the igfa which i did and jack vitek who um, at the time was the records keeper he issued a, a statement saying that it had never been noted on their system before and they issued a certificate of outstanding achievement so i was really pleased with that and that sort of as far as I was concerned at that time, that put that to bed. And then last year, the uh, programme uh, for Robson Green was on telly and he was doing his sort of slam fishing worldwide. And one of the episodes was to achieve the Shark Grand Slam. So me and lots of other people sort of tuned into that. Um, he made reference to it having only been done once before, uh, not by name. And I had assumed that that was me. Anyway, long story cut short, the following day I was um, I picked up on the email thread to Jack, uh, messaged him and said that I was delighted to have seen obviously Robson Green achieve his Shark Grand Slam and, and issued with a formal Shark Grand Slam certificate and they're rather special to look at, as no doubt you know. And I said that obviously back in 2013 I had emailed himself and uh, registered it, could they now formally issue my certificate? Um, which they subsequently did. I had to go through a legal process, which was interesting. I'd never sort of encountered that before. And then uh, some little time later, it arrived from America and confirmation in actual fact that mine was the first in 2013. Um, A guy in New Zealand achieved his on a subsequent year. And then Robson Green obviously achieved his um, sometime later as well. So really thrilled with that. Um, It really does take pride of place in the house. It's a nice talking point. One thing is getting a a world record, and that's an amazing achievement. To actually get a world first, for me, is even more significant. And obviously, generations to come in the Griffith family, they can look back and say that um, Andy was, um, you know, did something in angling terms. And that's actually documented with the IGFA in their world record book that comes out annually. And it's, it's in there for life now. So really pleased. The same year I was heading to the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain for the annual dinner and um, they kindly um, issued me with a certificate of recognition for them as well because it did represent a significant capture um, for the United Kingdom or Great Britain as they prefer to describe themselves but to do it sort of local as it were was amazing because when you look at the shark species that you can actually catch to achieve it it certainly is far easier to go over to America and the Mako sharks there are as prolific as blues. Um, and the other key point that you know needs to be noted is that all of my, as you, as you rightly say, that all of my fish were actually over £100. Um, and I don't believe the other 
the shark slams, the other two necessarily convey that sort of weight. So um, I'm even more proud of myself on that. And obviously thanks to Andrew and the crew that day that um, assisted in, in this feat. Sort of, you know, it's a team thing, I've said that before, so thrilled to bits on that. Obviously the shark fishing has continued for you, so perhaps you can bring us up to date with what's been going on for yourself and Andrew Allsop over these past four years. Yeah, I've continued um, with my interest for sharking with Andrew. We've gone out in the traditional way for blues and poor beagles. Um, I do have a particular liking for the poor beagle shark. I've said this before. I think, in my opinion, they're the, the hardest fighting fish you can actually land in this country. And I would actually say more so than a bluefin. Bluefins are predictable in my experience, whereas a poor beagle... You've got change of direction, change of speed. The amount of anglers that will say, oh, it's come off and Andrew will be shouting, wind, 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 because they literally do a loop on you and all you're sort of winding in is the slack on it. So we've had a play around on the poor beagles, trying a few bits and pieces. Um, I've been frustrated on many occasions. There was one particular occasion um, where this this poor beagle went off um, and I had 24 pound of drag on it for an hour and 45 minutes and I was walked around the boat nine times because it was just changing direction it was a real powerhouse and we got that within well it wasn't on the leader so I can't remember how long um, the um, leaders are on um, Andrew's um, shark traces but it was out of leader range and it just shook its head and spat the hook so frustration but that's fishing but as i say we've still continued the sharking perhaps i've done slightly less than i was um other commitments have meant that i haven't been able to go up as freely weather has put pay to a few trips but the the records the up-to-date position on andrew holding shortfin mako poor beagle and blue shark where he currently holds all of those welsh records which is a phenomenal achievement all to one boat and the Welsh Federation of Sea Anglers is very supportive as far as the catch and release which obviously is the way forward with all sort of sorts of angling now. They're carefully bought on board measured with the, the normal um, length to girth ratios. Um, a quick calculation on a calculator on your phone gives you your estimated weight and that is recognised by the Welsh Fed um, they're very keen to obviously have video evidence and there have been incidences where attempts to take these records, particularly the poor beagle, that was completely foiled. It was a dishonest attempt at taking a record and it, it was thrown out, which was good. So scrutiny um, on their part is a, a significant thing. So ideally measured with video and uh, still images so you can see literally that the the tape is on the nose it's going to the fork of the tail and the girth going right the way round, not sort of loops in the in a slack tape and things like that so it's good it's moved forward significantly and it is it's great that they've tightened it up because i think catch and release always is open to foul play and when one is trying to play on a level field and other people are doing it in a, um, a different way it's frustrating because you know and they know what's going on but anyway we play a fair game and that we measure them correctly and ultimately anglers are only cheating themselves if they wish to do it in any other way. There's been some new techniques too. Well I say new techniques and we're talking about trolling for poor beagles here but Kevin Lenane was doing that under the cliffs of Moore as far back as the late 1960s. 
Yes, we've had a play around in the Celtic Deeps and I know that you've spoken to Andrew already to document this comprehensively, so I'll only sort of touch on it briefly. As you say, back in the 60s, there were techniques undertaken for a pull bait, a moving bait, technically as we'd call it now, trolling. We have had a play around with that in, in all different ways. Um, we've used sort of professional tailor-made lures. We've had um, Andrew's made his own. We've um, had just a, a mackerel pulled when things are still out there and say the pool beagles aren't feeding and they do react favorably to it. Um, the hookups, they, I, I think one occasion we were playing around out there and um, I had 13 1-3 hookups on briefly and then just spit the hook. They are what you would think being a mackerel shot, you'd think they'd come in and absolutely nail a moving bait, but it's the hookup situation it was it almost became a joke the rod would go over reel would scream off and we'd almost be counting out loud and then within i don't know 10 to 20 seconds it just dropped and it didn't matter whether we'd slowed the boat down we'd sped it up whether we changed the the strike they just didn't seem to really nail it so that's really frustrating but i think andrew's come he, he came away from that for a while he was concentrating on mastering um, what was going on out there as far as observing the blue fins and learning a few bits and pieces about that so we, we we may well pick up on the trolling side of things a little bit more this year yeah the hookup ratio i'd say is 50 50 which as i say it, it astonishes me i've had both poor beagles and blues um, using a troll bait and with different speeds, different depths. So it's a sort of, it's a little bit of trial and error ongoing. Um, I mean, Andrew's the master of it all. I know he's sort of devising new techniques for all his fishing constantly. So we've had a dabble. I think if engineered correctly, it certainly would lay the way forward to successfully connecting with another Mako if there's one in the area. And I think also Threshers. Again, worldwide, they're very often caught um, as a byproduct actually when marlin fishing so i think if you applied those techniques well then that would maximize your chances of getting those species here particularly the mako which as we know um, i think there's been one since mine in 2013 irish one last year uh, but you know they're rare but i think if you use those techniques that would maximize your chances but whether the average angler and the average skipper would then be able to actually do battle that's obviously going to be another question now you mentioned bluefin tuna there, and as a result of the trawling, albeit deliberate or otherwise, there have been a few nice boneless fish coming along. Well, the, the bluefin at the time obviously was a, I think I can actually say a prolific summer visitor in the Celtic Deep. So I'd never seen them before, but the footage that Andrew had shown me on various trips was, was astonishing. I mean, these things were just breaching and just, you know, like little cars coming out of the water, just smashing baits and going so fast, they literally go airborne as they sort of strike the bait. So it was always something that we felt would be interesting to do. With the addition of Andrew's new boat with the fighting chair, we went out for a jolly and we used trolling techniques that have, we, we learnt um, in Ireland from Declan um, on Kiwi Girl. We literally engineered the same techniques that he did. Um, uh, in Ireland, both Andrew and I were successful on our first UK bluefins. And that was actually, well, I, I can't remember which year that was, that probably was in 2016. So we, we knew what we could do. 
Um, lots of the Irish skippers, as you know, they fish in Donegal Bay, which technically is a basin. And once the bait fish are in there, the, the tuna are in there mopping them all up. Now you go and apply your trolling techniques in the Celtic deeps and it's literally like a pea in the ocean. So we applied the, the thought not to chase the fish, just to apply the techniques that we knew. I mean, again, Andrew researches a lot of things in the winter months and comes up with new tricks and things like that. So we set all the gear up the night before. We went out, um, a select crew, and we knew what we were going for. At that time, it wasn't illegal to target the bluefin tuna. I'd like that sort of noted before any criticism comes by my way. And we were not far off the um, Milford Haven, and all of a sudden, tuna coming clean out the water. And it was the first time I'd seen them, and oh, I was so switched onto it. We, we put marauder lures down as well, as well as uh, surface lures we were using. And long story cut short, by 11am, I had successfully hooked, landed, and released the first technically lure caught tuna ever off of Wales and um, it was astonishing it was just when a day comes together is the sort of the complete reverse of the poor beagle tail I've just given where you can fight 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 and the, the you know the wretched thing comes off this went to clockwork there wasn't a single element at any point in time where I thought this is going to you know go horribly wrong it was, it was terrific the boat control was amazing Gareth Baker was on board, moving the chair around to give me good direction. The setup, I was using an 80 wide Tiagra, 80 pound mono. Um, I was using a, um, a chair rod, obviously. Um, that was, I think it was 80 class. And it just went to clockwork. But to, to sort of do it and almost sort of wrap up by 11 was amazing. And in actual fact, when we had the tuna boat side, the amount of tuna busting around us was absolutely amazing. I mean, if somebody else had been on there with popping and jigging gear, they almost certainly would have had another fish because the numbers of the fish out there is absolutely astonishing. So yeah, I'm proud to do that, another sort of first. Um, and as I say, that was a, a, a actual targeted fish. And I can say that um, fairly because actually at the time it wasn't um, illegal to do that. So the door has closed on that. And obviously the regulations have changed significantly with the MMO, as you know. So uh, those days are gone, but been there and done that. So again, another proud moment. So it's an IGFA Grand Slam, poor beagles caught trolling and Welsh bluefin tuna. So how do you top that? Many anglers would say that you couldn't, but recently you have fishing out of Carragher Holt with Luke Aston. Yes, the idea of a six skill came about purely to um, extend my list of um, United Kingdom British Isle species over £100. So the six skill was an obvious one. It fascinated me how prehistoric these sharks look as well. It took no time whatsoever, and I'd heard of Luke Aston fishing out of Carragher Holt before. So... I had a, a, a chat with him over the phone, said obviously my interest in wishing to try and target the six gill. The timing um, was such that an early opportunity in the diary, um, we were originally talking about May, would be the best opportunity because if weather blew that off or it, it went ahead and was unsuccessful, it would still potentially leave the end of the season to have another go. So May was decided upon. Geography-wise, obviously playing with part of the Atlantic, I knew that it was, this was always going to be a 50-50 
trip with regard to the you know adverse weather that they can get down that coastline but anyway I noted on um, Facebook that he'd landed to I think it was in April and they were sort of 1500 pound that made national news actually and I so I thought well this is looking good at least with he's actually encountered them this season already so another chat on the phone we were fine-tuning the dates and as those dates approached I said to Luke, shall we, shall we? And he he literally bluntly said, look, Andy, if you really want to go for these, get on a plane, come over here, and we'll see what we can do. So I thought, well, you know, this is just, I've got to go for it. The weather, as I say, was going to be a 50-50, but anyway, got on the plane, got over there. The idea of having the boat to myself, which I like when I'm targeting certain things, was obvious again. I didn't realise until getting out there it would actually be only fishing one rod. So um, it was good to have the whole boat to myself. It wasn't crewed other than just with Luke. The mark that we ended up heading out towards, Luke showed me on a map actually, and I couldn't believe actually how close to shore it was. And I, I was fascinated to, to know, almost question, why it would be a six-gill area, because I had always thought that they... Uh, they sort of resided in great depth of water but there was this wasn't this was off loop head which isn't that deep so it was all sort of unfolding into a bit of a mystery for me um I didn't really know some of those answers to start with but I'd seen so much evidence of him being so successful it was really just worth going for so I headed off to um uh, Shannon Airport and Carragher and I was there in May of last year to me, it doesn't sound like the obvious six-gill mark. Yes, it has deep water close by, but my experience of six-gills caught by day has been in exceptionally deep water, usually beyond 1,700 feet where light doesn't penetrate, then closer inshore after dark. This turns that theory completely on its head. Yeah, so um, I, I took advantage of uh, Luke's um, his sort of fish and stay service. His wife runs a superb farmhouse B&B, so... I arrived there in good time and then obviously had dinner. We were talking about the fishing, what the opportunities were for the, the sort of three days that I'd booked coming up. Two days looked really good and the third day almost looked as though that was going to be a no-go. So the plan was to set off 9am the next morning with a view that if unsuccessful on that day, we would do a pretty much into the night trip on the second day. So anyway, we, took to, we were going to take it each day as it came. So set off at nine. Um, I couldn't believe how quickly we were at sort of our bait fish area. We were aiming for getting sizable coal fish and mackerel. And um, the coal fish were very small that we were catching. So they, they were all going back. But we had a good amount of mackerel. Um, we caught some pollock and they were sort of the four to five pound range. So they were quite a nice hook bait to be combined with the mackerel. Um, we set up our position and you know you could see land it was astonishing i was thinking you know we're going to go really off off the coast here and try and find some depth of water but i believe that the depth of water is only about 200 foot but the position we fish was a particular mark where i think gullies and um the, the tidal flow was such the position where we fished that when trawlers were dumping bycatch or just clearing nets and what have you that sort of dead fish and ground bait essentially 
um, would be funneled into this area where fishing so sort of almost like a fish dump and it had proven successfully for Luke on many occasions so that was the sort of the, the mark we were to fish so it was a standard setup um, which is a five metre trace consisting of approximately a metre of 450 to 500 pound 49 strand wire a 14 OJ hook and then a four metre rubbing leader of 300 pound mono um, I was using 80 pound braid using a pen graphite GLD 30 twin speed so quite a nice light reel actually lever drag and then the rod was a uh, pen millennium senator stand up that's 5080 class all supplied by Luke I didn't want to interfere and sort of think that I knew what the tray should be or shouldn't be it's his standard gear it's proven and tested and again the the setup and the drag as far as his gear I just thought I would have confidence using a proven load of tackle I've got tackle sufficient for this but I was wanting to use all his gear. The only thing I took was um, a butt pad and a harness because these things are big. Lots of people say they don't fight hard. I'd argue that already now myself, having been successful on them. And you do need a little bit of assistance on the harness. Just by the sheer mass of these sharks, they are a big creature and they are, it's a real tug of war. It really is. So only fishing one rod two mackerel cut up into cutlets as it were and then they were threaded up the wire trace i hadn't, hadn't used this sort of kebab style before but luke told me that by cutting the mackerel up there and threading it up ahead of the hook bait which was going to be the pollock that we'd caught earlier that would stop hus conger and dogfish sort of hammering the mackerel off and the mackerel obviously being oily was going to be terrific for scent and then a big pollock on the end with its tail cut off sort of a, a, in a flapper form would obviously be the um, the actual hook bait with that 14.0 J hook. Um, I fitted my harness in readiness, the AFCO style one, sort of um, more of a kidney style harness, so that I was pretty much ready to roll because I didn't know how, how these things may turn up, how quickly I may need to react. Um, bites came straight away, but that was, um, Mark, Luke was keen to remark that it was just the, um, the dogfish and the husk playing around with it. So periodically, I'd wind back up, we'd rebate in exactly the same way. Lunchtime came and went and I was still feeling optimistic. The weather was absolutely beautiful. So there was nothing sort of adverse on the horizon that was gonna put pay early to the, the day there. And about sort of half past three, the rod twitched, not sort of excessively, but more persistently than what I was describing as the bait robbers. So I knew that it wasn't sort of dogs and things like that. Um, Luke suggested actually clipping on to the reel and getting ready so rod butt into pad clipped onto reel and then he just said right I think you should really wind down and um, you know see what's if there's any weight there and if so just very carefully just straight up in the normal way nothing sort of sharp and jerky pull up and uh, wind down and engage and see what's there so I did that and um, was immediately hooked into um, a hell of a weight, frankly. I was quite shocked, actually. It was sort of, it almost felt as though I'd hooked the bottom, but it was moving. And it wasn't moving quickly, but it was moving and head shaking as well, which it did remind me of Paul Beagle. It sort of is like a slowed down head shake of that. Um, it's very much like hooking into a common skate and that sort of initial tug of war where you're trying to get them off the bottom. That's what it reminded me of, but obviously with a much, much bigger beast on the end. About 20 minutes of pump and wind, this sort of, what struck me first was pink, a pinky sandy colour, 
shark beneath. Um, at me, Luke sort of was alongside me. He said, yep, yeah. he said, that's your sixth skill. Absolutely guarantee that. There was no, you know, um, that it could be anything else. You could actually see it now. And it popped up on the surface. We were, well, Luke was hands-on leader and pulled that alongside the boat for video footage and um, lots of photos. It's, they, I just think the sheer mass of these sharks is mind-blowing. No picture or video really can do them justice. They are enormous. Um, the other thing that struck me was the dorsal fin, which is much more towards the tail. So it, it looked weird because it didn't have a dorsal fin where you were expecting it. So hell of a shark, absolutely like a dinosaur of the sea. It was measured and estimated at nine foot long, which Luke sort of gave a suggested estimated weight of 600 pounds. So I was absolutely over the moon. Couldn't believe that I'd been so fortunate on my first attempt, first hookup. And, um, you know, I, I, I achieved my sixth species over £100 in the um, United Kingdom, or the British Isles. So, thrilled to bits. We then um, put the bait back down. There was time for another attempt. And about half an hour later, I had, um, had another hookup. Um, that was on for about 10 minutes and then that came off. So it was then time to head in and we went for a well-earned beer. So it was absolutely, um, I was just on cloud nine. It was terrific. The next day, the weather did look good. We were going to set out for, well, the potential of going into the evening. We'd taken enough food and drink to sort of literally stay out there. And what was fascinating, and this is, you know, um, something that I find with top skippers they so know their business um luke actually joked in the morning your bite will probably come about 6 p.m and i sort of well okay right it's yeah sort of a bit tongue-in-cheek but obviously these guys do know their fishing they they're doing it day in day out they know the conditions the tide and what state of tide will actually best suit these predators moving in and without any lying at 10 to 6 there was a um, a nice bite. I lifted into it, um, line peeled away, which you know, it felt a much bigger fish. You know, it was actually pulling quite a lot of line off, and then it dropped it. Anyway, Luke said, "Right, drop the bait back straight back down. We won't bother rebaiting. Let's assume that fish will will stay around." And he said that he'd had a number of six gills dropped. Um, no, bait straight back down. They don't necessarily go too far, and um, soon after. It was I was hooked up and it felt absolutely massive. It really did, and um, it was it was a totally different experience the first day. It wasn't because I was tired from the first day in any way, shape, or form. But this thing felt huge. It really did, and it it fight, fought in the sort of what Luke had described in the traditional way, fighting from the left hand side to the right hand side, and sort of no further forward of the stern that at midships so it was quite a i call almost call it the six gill dance now it made for a tough battle actually um i would dismiss anybody saying they don't fight they do they are absolutely enormous um, and relatively speaking you're using fairly light gear in relation to their actual mass you're clearly not going to get runs from them it'd be of a tuna style but they do take line um it's a sheer grunt battle have to be fit this battle went on I think, I can't remember exactly, but probably best part of an hour. And then all of a sudden this thing popped up on the surface and it was, well, 14 foot long. It just looked like a monster. 
and Luke gave um, an estimate of £1,150 on that, and I was just stunned by the immense size. Um, I could barely believe what I was seeing. I'd got my grander, my first grander of any fishing I'd done worldwide. I know it's an estimated weight, but, you know, Luke has caught significant fish, and he, he gave me the, the 1150-pounder. And it was it was just amazing. The time allowed um, a further play so we we put a, another bait down um i was having some some dinner actually time was cracking on so i was in the wheelhouse eating and um luke said right you better come back out on deck you've got you've got a bite and it's taking line so i picked up the rod and lifted into this um solid opponent uh, and it, again i know i would have been tired but it felt even bigger I, I just didn't couldn't believe it. It was just sort of one of these absolute ultimate days where again everything just comes together beautifully. Um, I did my six gill dance round the boat and I was sweating. I mean it was dripping off me and I'm a fit guy. It was a fair old battle. That one I think the, this took me. It was probably a further hour. So I'd I'd have my initial uh, grander fighting that for an hour about a 15-20 minute window to have some food and then I was back into this one so it was pretty much um, a marathon of six gills. Um, we saw colour beneath the boat and Luke remarked oh it's another good one and it looks even bigger and with the leader in Luke's gloved hand the shark showed itself fully and at 18 foot he estimated the weight at 1400 pounds. So I was able to get two grandes in a day. Luke had never achieved that before. Um, it was just incredible. So on estimated weights, I'd had three six gill sharks in two days with a combined weight of 3,150 pounds. But the most important factor, obviously, was the two grandes in one day. It was just simply amazing, absolutely amazing. And, you know, I'm ever thankful to um, Luke for helping me achieve another big objective on my long list, but my list is getting slightly shorter. The British record for six gill shark stands at a staggering nine and a half pound from Penley Point. I say staggering, but that's for all the wrong reasons. Obviously, straight puppers, there is no really deep water for miles, so people thought it was a chance encounter. Astray, perhaps, little realising that under the right conditions, one of the biggest fish on the planet can readily be caught, and could, with good planning and a bit of luck, possibly even be caught along Scotland's west coast. Yeah, I think um, there's a, a huge opportunity in Scotland for six-gill sharks, and I don't know whether Ronnie Campbell has covered in, in any interviews he's done with you the possibility of hookups with six-gills. I know I've fished with Ronnie a fair few times, and he has had, um, he's told the, the tales of several fish where he has, his crew have, have hooked into something and it just won't stop. And of course, up there, you're, you're talking, I mean, when I fish with him, typically it's sort of 600 foot, some of the marks. So you're talking probably far more of a likely area for six gills than, um, than where Luke fishes, if you were to look at it as far as the criteria that best suits them, deep water and things like that. So, I, I'm, I think Ronnie is convinced he's hooked up with them. They've all broken off. Um, he's using heavy gear. So whether there would be scope to fish up there with wire biting traces to sort of see whether you can actually, you know, not get snapped up, bitten off, I think there's there's good scope. I think if I lived in nearer that area, I would certainly be wishing to say 
to the likes of Ronnie or other skippers that you know wish to have a go, can we just go and have a play and see what see what the sort of possibilities um, whether whether it could produce one? I'm, I'm convinced they would be there definitely. One previous six-skill caught by one of Luke's clients was brought ashore and officially weighed at £1,056, caught by Swiss pensioner Joe Wallace in 2009. So there is an official record complete with body length measurements for future comparison. Doubtless, a lot of people would have been horrified at the killing of that fish. The scientific community, on the other hand, were falling over themselves to get the fish for research purposes. You chose to put your fish back. Do you have any regrets now at not knowing the true weight or claiming the record? No, I think um, I'm. it's always nice to know an actual weight, of course. But I think the, the modern times we, we fish within, you would be crucified these days with social media for doing the wrong, what would be deemed to be doing the wrong thing. And I've got no criticism, obviously, on Joe Waldis doing that back in 2009. But I do know that it met with fairly heated negative press on him it was a phenomenal picture i remember seeing it in sea angler myself thinking what on earth is that so i've got no regrets killing and taking a, a fish ashore for a record i would of course love to have known the actual weight so i'd love to have sort of spent more time filming and photographing them but they impressed me so much they were such sort of magnificent creatures I was thrilled and part of the, the buzz of the day was actually releasing them and seeing them swim off. I mean, I've got some terrific video and uh, that even one sort of turns up on itself and flicks its tail almost as a goodbye. And I've no, 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 no regrets at all. Um, you're right as far as Luke obviously estimating the weights based on the, the killed fish because they were obviously able to get girth and length and um, and it was physically weighed. So his sort of yardstick is there, and um, that's obviously how he bases his estimate estimated weights on any anglers that are fortunate enough to land one with him. And I just think that's the responsible way forward. I think these, um, these six gills live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So for a glory photo on the key, no, not for me. While six skills have been caught out of the Shannon and at other Western Irish locations, including from trail boats in the past, two granders in the same day takes the potential of carrying a halt to a whole new level. I'm sure Luke Aston will be getting a lot of inquiries over the coming months. So how do you see the future for Luke, for carrying a halt, and for the six skill shark fishing generally? I think the certainly those two granders in a day that made um, global news because I, I was actually in touch with Sport Fishing Magazine, who I subscribed to, and they did a little feature on that, and they were thrilled to show that. Um, and I do think um, when I spoke to Luke and said that this is going to sort of go out, you know, I wouldn't say prepare himself for the deluge of calls, but he did actually get a lot of um, inquiries from overseas, and I think. It certainly put it even more on the map than um, than it was before. And of course, he was very, very highly regarded for it in the first place. So this has only enhanced the area um, on a global platform, more anglers in, interested in doing it. And of course, if you do like catching big fish, it would be a fairly straightforward one to sort of to try and go for. It's, you're not having to go vast distances offshore, 
um, you're in relatively shallow water by comparison to perhaps if you went to Cape Verde or the Canary Islands to target them. So um, I think European six-gill sharking, he is certainly well and truly on the map. And I think with the catch and release, preserving those fish, whether they move around and migrate and come back, it certainly will do no harm in um, doing the catch and release and hopefully promoting that fishery for many, many generations to come. You've had tunnel catches now for six different species from around the British Isles. What is the future for Andy Griffiths? Um, I think the obvious ones, you know, people always sort of tease me about this. If the, th- the thresher is obviously, you know, I said this back in 2013, and it's probably going to be something that will haunt me forever. I would, of course, love to catch a thresher shark. Um, it would enable me to sort of add that to my Paul Beagle Blue and Mako. And, you know, it's it's often referred to as the big four There are a couple of contenders that can obviously do it before me. The thing I do like is the fact that the threshers are caught every single year. They are, when I say common, they're not a common shark. Of course they're not. But by relative terms, having been fortunate enough to bag the mako, it does put me in a very good position that should sort of of luck be with me on the right day at the right time in the right place. And then the fight goes well, that I could actually bag a thresher. I will actually be attempting it next month. So that will be interesting. I think it's just one of those ones. Hopefully, I just may get really, really lucky and fall on it. I don't think it necessarily is something you can easily target. Perhaps I'm wrong. I mean, I I suppose the, the Isle of Wight boys, they hook up each season. So a thresher would be a fine one to add to the list. But... I don't want to become obsessed with that and it detract from other angling. Um, my boys, Harry and Sam, I'm getting very much into the sport now. They've come aboard and fish with Andrew's girls on um, white water. So they're getting into it. They're constantly asking me to go fishing. So I've perhaps come away from a little bit of what I just want to do and teach them the trade, if you like. So Thresher, yes, definitely would like one of those. But I think it does come back to something I sort of, you know, like to quote. I just want to go fishing and just enjoy it. I think one year I got too obsessed with trying to get a huge poor beagle and I think I had most losses that year. I became unfocused from just going out there and having some fun with it all. So a thresher shark would be the ultimate prize for me. Of course, I'd like to catch a 100-pound conger. That would be another one. Again, a very difficult one to fish for and be successful and of course by the nature of conger fishing whereas you could have a whole boat to yourself for sharking and bag all the results with conger fishing ideally you need five or six anglers alongside you to put enough bait down to get the congers out of the wrecks well of course if you're fishing with five or six people are you going to be that lucky one that gets that hundred pound eel don't know it, that's that's a, again a tricky one but Again, if I was fortunate enough with that, yeah, that would give me the sort of ultimate cards. I could sort of play top trumps with anybody then. Well, with your track record, you should have a very good chance of doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah, I've, I do put the time in and I guess I'm willing to chance my arm and take a whole boat chart. And I've said this before, it does maximise your chances. It's not cheap, but if you take your sport seriously... 
it sort of it, it gives you the best opportunity so i think probably apply that and um, wish for a little bit of continued good fortune phil that's what i'd like to uh, ask for but yeah if if i can tick a few more boxes it would be great every confidence in you and thanks very much for taking the time to talk the six skills through with us here 